And a very good evening, everybody, and welcome to our Saturday night evening. This evening, we've got an absolutely wonderful gentleman, Mr. Eddie Elsie, talking to us from Street Spirituality. Eddie has written some absolutely fantastic articles, which he has shared with his group of Street Spirituality. He is also a, a shamanic practitioner and one-to-one -one healing. I'm just going through the list here. Very, very impressive resume there, Eddie. Eddie, sir, good evening and welcome. Hi, Lawrence. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Great, thanks so much for having me. Um, hi, everyone. It's a real honour to be here um, over Zoom. I'm just uh, checking in with the comments. Hey, so, yeah, shall I, shall I begin? Yes, I begin? if you yeah. could. Uh, Eddie wrote an absolutely riveting article uh, and returning from the nowhere, and it was a comparison with this time in the COVID era in the Western world and relaying that to shamanic journeying and uh, practices and rituals arising from there. And it really is a riveting reads. Eddie. I will shut up because I will waffle for England <laughs> and I will hand over to you, sir. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah. So I'll talk today about kind of the article really. And, and um, I did a video also, which while well, Lawrence got in touch, but just before that, which is looking through the lens of initiation, if you like, this three part process of initiation, which I'll go into as a way to to find meaning really in, in, a, in a situation like COVID, which is kind of, um, I think, unfortunately taken away a lot of meaning, um, at least on the surface. So I'll be doing that and kind of talking about these three stages of initiation um, and also how that's perhaps led to this kind of conspirituality, lots of conspiracy theories and a big divide, I think, really in our in our country at the moment, not just our country. I was talking to Lawrence just at the beginning. Also, it's all around the world. Um, so I'll talk about that and I suppose a different perspective. So. As I said, I'm a shamanic practitioner and, and that's the way I'll be kind of tackling this, if you like. That's um, my viewpoint. Um, so shamanism essentially is this, uh, from a belief standpoint, the belief that everything has a spirit. Um, so kind of uh, not just animals and people and trees, but everything, even something you would have created. If you built your house, your house would have a spirit. Um, your car would have a spirit if you like so the world is very alive and it can be interacted with um, and lots of the shamanic um, ways I've been taught have come from indigenous society so I'll be talking a lot about them as well and traditional society so yeah if you have any questions I'm, I'm watching the comment box as well so please just ask um, whenever you whenever you feel so Coronavirus has been here for just over a year now. Um, and I don't know about you, but it seems to me that life beforehand is, is almost has a bit of a dreamlike quality. Um, it's sort of like a fading memory, which I think is a really good lesson in, in how fast things can change. And also the fragility of life. 
know, oh, uh, it's naive of me, but I, I assumed it was quite solid. Um, and something like this to come in and completely put things at a standstill was quite shocking to me. Um, so I've used this idea of initiation as a way to find meaning in this uh, whole situation. And in my experience, there seems to be quite a romantic idea that initiations, um, they only kind of exist in traditional cultures. And there's truth to this, definitely. You know, these ancient rituals of initiation, they do feature much more prominently in, in these cultures than ours, at least in terms of shamanic and animistic beliefs. But what we have to untangle from that, I think, is that initiation isn't just a ritual. Initiation is, um, at its core, it's, it's a natural force uh, that we all go through multiple times in our life. You know, birth and death are the kind of um, ones that stand out, but also lots of little initiations, adolescence, uh, middle age, um, and also within those uh, between those stages, we have lots of different ones that might have stemmed from trauma, life experiences, different things like that. Um, so the initiatory ritual exists when the container, if you like, is built around that natural force of initiation, which allows it to be magnified and, and wielded, if you like, in a way that will hopefully allow the initiate to be reborn safely on the other side. And traditionally, these rituals in, in indigenous society would be undertaken at adolescence. Um, when uh, you're kind of dealing with all these energies inside of yourself, perhaps for the first time. Um, and often they're very challenging, very challenging rites, and they have to be, because it takes an incredible amount of pressure to, to bend and break and then mold and reshape the human psyche. Um, and in these communities, these traditional indigenous communities, um, the hardship experience is worth that risk because these cultures are very concerned day to day with survival, literal survival. So dropping childhood fantasies and becoming, as, as they would say in traditional culture, a useful member of um, the community is seen as essential. And often these initiations have a real non-negotiable participation role. It's like, you have to do it. There's, there's no choice. Um, and this ritual provides each initiate with the tools and knowledge that they then need to become part of something bigger than themselves. So they're initiated into their culture. So they start putting the culture's needs before their own. And um, if you think of the culture as a collective organism, um, they become in, invested in that and not so individualistic. Um, and if you look at the Western culture, our culture in comparison, you know, obviously these compulsory rites of passage of distant memory, um, especially within a, you know, an animistic shamanic context. Um, but the need, the human need for initiation, I think is still very present within us as people. Um, I'd actually go as far to say that it's, it's, it's in our bones. 
So although we've lost these traditional containers and symbols and um, everything that would be put together to allow a community to build this kind of dependable ritual space, the natural forces of initiation will find us, um, whatever we do. And I think what we're experiencing with, with COVID-19 is that we've been sprung into this shared cultural initiation where all of us, no matter what our beliefs, um, what part of society we're from, we're suddenly dealing with the same issue. And I don't think this has happened, definitely not in my lifetime. So initiation is in three parts. At the beginning of any initiation comes severance. That's the first part. Uh, it's this kind of split from your ordinary way of being, your ordinary consciousness, um, which tears you away really from the world as you know it. So if your surroundings were familiar before, suddenly that seems to vanish. And what you previously lent on for support and comfort, this doesn't seem to be there. Now that could be physical, or that could be a belief you had about the world that made you feel safe. And suddenly that's been challenged in quite a way that it's gone, or you can see through it now. And so severance, it can feel quite scary. Um, and in traditional initiation, again, kind of going to that most romantic idea, it's like, Lots of the anthropologists have spoke about this, and it's like the youth of a culture floating down the river on these hollowed out canoes, and the, the grandmothers are singing, um, or it's like this sacred smoke from the fires that are kind of um, whispering through the ceremonial square, and it's like the ritual elder in a trance painting all these beautiful symbols, and reciting these ancient prayers to, to keep the initiates safe. Um, and those are lovely, very visceral images. But it can also look like the powers that be telling you to isolate from family and friends, taking that power out of your hands. And perhaps it could also be this uncertainty of this invisible illness that's kind of ripping through the community, especially those most vulnerable. Um, I think it could also be the job that, that you'd had for, for years, perhaps, that brought your family and you security, suddenly just placing you in a redundancy package and the industry collapses. And obviously these things, they're not as romantic. They don't seem as, uh, they don't have the kind of enchantment of these exotic rituals, but on a soul level, I think it's all the same. It's this power that's greater than ourselves suddenly shocking the way that we viewed the world um, and leaving us with nowhere to go. And perhaps for the first time in our lives, it's not just us that are powerless, which are, unfortunately often sometimes we personally do feel powerless. That's not this alien feeling, but it's not just us. It's like our, our, our elders, our parents, the government, the doctors, they can't do a thing either. So these outside circumstances cause a break in our inner circumstances. And it's through this that I think we entered this initiation. Um, 
through this split in our consciousness, if you like, it's like the wound opened and, and we went inside. Um, there's a great mythologist called Michael Mead who talks about this. The wound then becomes the womb where you start to reshape and, and rebirth yourself, which is the liminal stage, which is the next stage. So we move from severance into liminality, which is the middle stage, um, which is what actually the article was called, which is like the nowhere stage, because liminality is often called the nowhere stage. Um, it's this very mysterious, previously hidden space that you kind of arrive in after crossing a threshold. And again, it might not be physical. I mean, in traditional initiations, it would be. You've been taken deep into the forest or into the mountains to this place you've never been. So all of your surroundings would have changed. But obviously, in our culture, everything could still be, you should live in the same house, in the same town. But there's a difference. Um, and perhaps it's just done within our consciousness where we cross a threshold. Now, the reason they... Another reason they do these initiations, these initiatory rites, is because this is much more comfortable done ceremoniously, <laughs> um, because there's this expectation that things will change. It's like, right, I'm going to go and do that initiation that my parents did and my grandparents did and on and on and on throughout the culture. Spontaneous arrivals into this much more challenging, which is what we're going through at the moment. Um, and we sort of float here, I think completely untethered and, and disconnected from our, our previous lives, um, but connected to something immensely powerful. The raw kind of power energetically of the world. And the idea in this liminal stage is that it breaks us down and it reforms and then rebirths us on the other side. Um, and I feel we're culturally now and have been in the last year in this shared space of liminality where no one knows what's going on. Um, and that's led to a lot of unease, obviously, logically, and a real need to find meaning in this situation. And that's so understandable because there's, with any severance, there's a grief. You leave behind something that you loved in some way, or at least was familiar, there's a grief there. So with the descent into liminality after the severance where you've, you've lost something, even though it, it could just be beliefs or your trust or your faith, you experience that grief, you come up against it. Um, and I think culturally we're feeling that at the moment, if not for ourselves, then for others. I personally have been very fortunate. I haven't been particularly affected by COVID, um, but I still feel this heaviness around the entire situation because it's affected everyone. We're much more connected, I think, to everyone than, than uh, perhaps we're led to believe. And I think I said earlier, it's this kind of shattering of innocence and naivety of, of, of the way we saw the world. Um, a complete loss of meaning, really at least for a time being. And this is a scary place to be. 
And it, traditionally, going back to indigenous society, it would be at this point within an, initi an initiation that the binding mythology of that culture would really kick in and it would be utilized in a way to provide meaning. So uh, these kind of cosmologies of traditional societies, um, so everything that builds up a belief within that society. So the creation story, the myths, the ceremonies, even the clothes, the medicines, dances, the language, all of these things would be used as a way to find meaning in a situation like this. Um, the creation stories are often recited during initiations as a way to build power in a person and help them to be reborn. It's like, this is who you are and this is where you've come from. And that I think does wonders for the human psyche because it, you're part of something so dense um, that even when something happens and it feels like the world's on your shoulders, you've got hundreds of shoulders behind you sharing that burden. Um, so obviously in our culture, without the benefit of this tr traditional mythology, without an encompassing belief system that, that can bind an entire community together, I think it's normal that we'd split off into our subcultures and anchor to pseudo-myths um, that would support us in, in feeling some form of security during this great liminal, the great unknown. Um, which I think is what we're seeing with all the conspiracies at the moment. I was talking to Lawrence or Fair beforehand. It's, a myth doesn't need to be factual for it to carry a truth. Often I think it's actually more powerful if it's not factual because it allows us to look at truth um, or look at our own truth in a way that's not as confronting. We can use symbols and, and mythology and kind of look at it in, in a more mythic way, um, work with the story. So these conspiracies, um, they don't have to be factual in order to act as vehicles, if you like, for the energies that they carry. Um, and I, I'm not a cons conspiracy theorist, but there's something in them beyond kind of the, the facts. Well, they're not facts, I guess. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> going to get into that, but the energies behind them are truthful. There's so many more people that are um, kind of getting into this uh, anti-vax stuff and, and the conspiracy stuff. So there must be something in it somewhere. It's carrying some form of truth for culture, but we're missing that because all we're doing is concentrating on the content of the conspiracy itself. Um, in uh, traditional myths, there'd always be this idea of this dark enemy. Um, often kind of a certain local spirit that would come and, and it would that would hold the kind of fear of the community. It'd be like, well, don't misbehave because this, this spirit will come and get you. And, and all the taboos within that culture um, would have been held by this spirit often. But all of that information, that fear would be given alongside the ways to court that spirit 
because there's no way to destroy it. So that's helpful because it can allow the feelings of darkness that arise in everyone from time to time um, to be integrated and, and worked with. Um, and a relationship can be formed based on acceptance of it. And, and therefore, I think the usefulness of that is it has less chance of creeping up into a person or a community because there's no secret about it. It's like, well, this exists and this is what it does and this is how it is. And, and it's like a lot of the sting of it is, is taken away. Um, hi, Phil, how are you doing? Um, Jamie, sorry, I didn't see your question. Uh, so Jamie said, Eddie, do you think that these points of phase transitions in our life can be mirrored on a societal uh, level, likewise as a society sense, as a society? Yeah, definitely. I think definitely it comes in cycles. Um, you know, perhaps when they need to, to come, I think, um, because as humans, we're forgetful. I suppose so down the generations maybe we need that reminder um i just yeah if, if that answers your question um and phil said does a calling towards shamanic initiation suggest that having reached a certain plateau in our spiritual progression um this process of accessing greater meaning of our lives is ready to manifest um yeah i think by that do you mean it's like it's needed in terms to cross over and to be reborn. And that rebirth happens at certain times where it needs to happen. When you reach, like you said, a, a, a plateau and the way out of that is um, initiation. Um, if you do mean that, yeah. But initiation doesn't have to be shamanic. Um, it can happen in, in many ways. It follows this process of severance the kind of liminal and, and the unknown and, and um, lots of anthropologists that have witnessed it call it cooking. You're kind of cooking and you haven't been cooked yet. And then you land suddenly, which is what we're yet to do from this COVID stuff. And if the initiation has gone well, you're reborn. Uh, but there's always that risk it might consume you and you might just get stuck in the liminal, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, I would say that. Um, and and Stacey's your question before we get on. Um, do you feel we as a nation have become more or less spiritual because of what's happened with COVID? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think as a nation, we're looking for more meaning, which will perhaps lead us to becoming more spiritual in our in our ideas because. There's only so much meaning science can give, I believe, um, especially when things that don't really have logic or rationality happen, like COVID. You know, the situation is completely random, I think. Um, perhaps not if nothing is random, but it's no one's fault is what I'm saying. There's, there's no one to kind of blame. So it's like, um, there's no meaning in that. There's no scientific explanation that provides meaning. It might be a scientific explanation to say, well, this is this is how it started, but not a why. So I think 
spiritual thinking helps with that. Um, <laughs> feel me too. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was this idea that the darkness is honored in these traditional myths and accepted. Um, because the usefulness for a community, as I said, is it has less chance of, of just exploding out somewhere and consuming people on this unknown level. It's like, well, it's just, it's easier to see. Um, so that's what's kind of happened in our society. Instead of utilizing the mythical element, if you like, of the conspiracies, um, and finding a way through them to honor these feelings of darkness that we may be experiencing. What these COVID conspiracies are doing is, is giving us a human enemy to hate, which to be honest, really worries me because every genocide in history has had its roots in, in social upheaval. And an orator comes along that's skillful enough to just whip up society. Um, give that culture a target to aim at. And, and we've got a recipe for disaster, I think. And there's many skilled orators around, um, you know. So everyone's looking for someone to blame. And I hope we don't get given a human enemy to blame. Because when the world that you knew begins to fall apart, I think it's, it's too easy to project these feelings of discomfort onto other people and start pointing the finger. It's too easy. Because when you do this, you lose an opportunity to converse with the deeper wisdom of the situation, which only seems to arrive if we can allow these feelings of fear and, and helplessness to run through and out of us without attaching them to ideologies or people. That's how these traditional forces cook you through acceptance and surrender, um, and they become transforming. If you have someone to blame for your discomfort, they consume you instead. Um, and unfortunately, that's where we're at, I think, at the moment. And it's interesting, we, it's a dangerous time. We need, we need to be wary about where we go and how to utilize a situation that is happening, whether we like it or not for beauty and for good, or if it's gonna kind of just split a line down the middle of the world, um, which could also happen. Because this desire to have an enemy to blame, you can see it, and especially in the alternate, uh, alternative and spiritual communities with this upsurge of movements like QAnon, um, which also has entwined kind of these shamanic beliefs with these idealistic kind of new age practices and it's difficult to pick them apart um and my personal opinion on that is that that's a problem because spirituality i think's evolved alongside culture and these new age practices i'm not talking about all of them um and a lot of them are good, and it's not even really the practice, it's just the kind of ideologies behind it. If you, if you intellectualize spirituality, then you never, you sort of miss the point, I think. Um, and these, a lot of these new age practices are very intellectual and based around just love and light um, and growth, always about growth, um, which is sort of kind of internalized capitalism in, in a weird way. 
which is our culture. So it kind of makes sense. Um, and this idea of ascension to 5D, um, and however innocent these ideas seem, they kind of run on the same fuel as social Darwinism and stuff, that it's those who ascend or evolve that will be the ones that take humanity forward. And that if you, for whatever reason, can't do that, and you don't have a place in the, the new earth, that's a dangerous line to tread, I think. Um, I'm kind of wary of it. Because I don't want to leave anyone behind. Because when we do that, we leave parts of ourselves behind as well. And we need to be careful of that because they're not going to go anywhere. It's going to come back to bite us. Um, and it's also the pandemic, I think, in, in this liminal stage, it's kind of one of the beliefs that I've had challenged is this idea that the earth is inherently healing and loving. Um, I mean, shamanism you try to work as really close to the earth and give lots of offerings and, and the earth is seen as this all loving kind of wonderful thing um but the reality i think is whilst the earth can be incredibly healing there's not really any evidence to suggest that it's, it's very loving or inherently loving to its inhabitants especially humans who have a track record of causing harm to it and again looking at indigenous cultures who live very close to the earth they know all about its danger and and a lot of the honoring that they give to the earth it's through love but it's also through fear of what would happen if they didn't honor it um so i think in our cities and uh where we've been vaccinated against all known diseases and we live quite far from the dangers of the raw earth and even in our nature um, we've kind of taken out all the animals that could cause us real harm i think it's we've forgotten this and um we've sort of adapted these quite superficial ideas of spirituality to our quite sterilized lives where everything's kind of happy-go-lucky um, and everything's okay, it's always going to be okay. And, and um, I think this pandemic's shown us kind of the in inadequacy of, of these um, ideas, these kind of modern, um, quite superficial spiritual ideas. Um, and again, talking to Lawrence before this, it happens in all religion as well. People cherry pick ideas that are nice, but not all of the ideas, but it's, you have to take the whole circle and that's a challenging journey and it often confronts you with things you don't really want to confront but that's what it's about um it was interesting uh, i was on facebook and quite a well-known south american elder um, from the amazon posted a picture that he'd got the vaccine and the comments were full of and i admit well-meaning westerners that were telling him that he shouldn't have done it and that COVID was a hoax and that the vaccine was poison and worse than COVID. And I couldn't help think it was a bit of a poster for blind, I mean, to be blunt, blind white privilege, really. You know, this is someone who everyone looks up to, listen to his teachings, master shaman, 
yet here we are saying he shouldn't have done that. And this is a man who's trying to save his community. Um, so what that taught me is that to even have the time for these grandiose ideas, fantasies, conspiracies, it's a huge privilege that a lot of the world doesn't have. Um, and that was quite humbling, I found. So why does this liminal stage lead us open to these conspiratorial ideas? Um, and I think it's because we don't have these rituals anymore. Without these containers and without these mythologies um, and without these skilled ritual elders who would know and have mapped out this process, um, we get stuck in the liminal because we can't pull ourselves out of it. And we get stuck there with no expectation of what it's meant to feel like, what could happen, why things have changed. Um, you know, it's so when these feelings of chaos, fear and hopelessness come, all we try to do is find a way out instead of allowing those energies to, to reform us. Um, and when we get stuck in the liminal, two things tend to happen, which I think are happening at the moment. One of them is that we identify completely with the feelings of chaos and fear and helplessness um, and begin to sort of thrash around and, and try to find objects or people to project all these emotions onto and start pointing the finger um, so we don't have to feel them ourselves, uh, which is kind of happening with this, this, these conspiracies like the dark elite, this hidden elite. Is it Boris Johnson? Is there someone else? Is it who, who is it? It's all their fault. And if we get rid of them, we'll live in utopia. I don't know. I don't. I don't really agree with that. I don't. I don't think that. Um, so, but that can happen because we don't want to deal with it. So we point the finger, and we deal with them, which is seems easier. Um, you know, it's it's having someone to blame isn't the most comfortable thing in the world, but at least we know where the danger is. Um, it also kind of, it doesn't need to be reconciled with within us if the fault we think lays with somebody else, which again just causes division. They're bad and we're good. Um, it's not as simple as that. The second also is is that actually people quite like these this liminal stage becomes addictive. It's like, this is exciting. Um, and this is because in, in liminality, um, the traditional ideas, you're plugged into the energy of the divine, which is the only thing that's powerful enough, this life force energy to, to change your psyche and, and alter your existence. Um, and when you're plugged into that, that's obviously surge of energy. It's like being plugged into the main. So, um, lots of people can form this quite strong messiah or god complex, which may very well look like you know all the answers and that only you and your inner circle knows exactly what's going on in the world. Um, if you put those two together, you can see both the desire in, in moving towards ideas of conspirituality um, and also the desire to save others from a, a fate that you're sure lies in wait of those that don't share the same views. So you've got the people looking for people to, to give them answers. And then you've got the people who feel so strongly that they have the answers that they'll give it to them. So it's like this perfect storm. Um, so 
the third stage is where we're at, I think. We're starting to, to get to the third and final part, which is the return, finally, to this ordinary consciousness, having been changed and reborn and remade in, in the liminal. You know, the vaccine's here. It's been rolled out. Um, the hospital's becoming less overwhelmed. Industry's starting to open its doors. Um, you can see family and friends. It's spring the sun's out all things point towards this return we need to be careful just i think because and it's my prayer really that we arrive back in this ordinary reality transformed instead of consumed and i think if this summer comes along or the winter or the years ahead and we find ourselves in a more cohesive and down-to-earth, grounded culture that's more accepting of people across the board, then it would have gone well. But instead, if, if we come out divided, broken down the middle, pointing the finger, um, then perhaps it hasn't. My personal view is that we don't need to blame anyone for this situation. Sometimes the world is a harsh, unwelcoming place, can be hostile. That doesn't really mean anything. What, what becomes important is how we then react to that as a culture, and that will define our future. And I don't think that's done by waving the finger. Um, that's by accepting and forming relationship with the uncomfortable nature of the world sometimes. Um, and allowing that pain, if it comes, and when it comes, which is unfortunately inevitable in life, to transform us, turn into beauty. And um, we'll see where we go. Um, yeah, so that's, that's it. I just answer um, James question. Um, Eddie, do you think that people who have an external focus of control, locus of control, more likely to get lost in this liminal state. Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Do you think... What do you mean by locus? I've never heard that term before. I think what Jamie's asking there, if people have the locus, their focus totally on another instead of empowerment themselves. Mm. So where all their power, all their, as we were saying funnily enough beforehand, everything, they're, they're projected, their power, their authority, their understanding of everything onto a third party. So yeah. it's sort of like a self-absolving process for yourself to be following rather than leading or even just living oh yeah yeah okay yeah thanks um i think the liminal stage would be hard harder because inevitably that'll be challenged um perhaps because it's harder they may get lost in it more um but yeah if whatever makes it more difficult to just surrender and to go within and to find meaning, your personal meaning in the situation that becomes something that's transforming, um, 
make it more likely to get lost. Mm hmm. Eddie, what an amazing evening. Do you know what? There's the one marvelous thing, you know, we are in this time. We don't want to be here, but we are. So I always say you've got two choices. You can pull the duvet over your head and hide, or you can get out of bed and just go, okay, what do I need to do? One of the lessons that I've seen, we're all going to look at every lesson from a different focus, from our own heritage, our own background, our own persuasions, is that we are all linked. And this has been an enormous repercussive effect going around and around this planet of people picking up on the same thoughts and you touched on that which i was very pleased to hear that uh, we we're in this time we don't want to be here but these energies that are around us to take away the for me the possibility of then attaching a persona and then attaching uh an either as jones said a fight or flight feeling to it if we treat these energies coming in and going, okay, what are you teaching me? What can I evolve from this? I think is the basis of so much good that we could do. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. As, oh, Sue Townsend has got a lovely question. She's asking, is the liminal state being viewed from a three-dimensional mind rather than we move towards a higher frequency where we shall be reaching a five dimension and beyond? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it, um, I think that it, the process of initiation will, will happen. Essentially it's life and death and rebirth. That's what the process of initiation is. And if it's not a literal death, um, and birth, and it's a symbolic one. So I don't think we'll ever escape that, um, no matter what dimension we're in or what state of consciousness, because the way that this world seems to work is there has to be renewal, and the only way that there is renewal is through death. Um, and every living thing on, on, on this planet, that's what happens. And not just this planet, but in the universe. Nothing lasts forever, even though some things last a very long time, but ultimately it, it's something happens, a reaction where it shifts and changes, but what it was doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I think it will be, yeah, this process of initiation is always unfolding always unfolding um it's sort of like the wheel of life if you like which lots of different uh, spiritual uh, practices have this idea that this unfolding wheel always moving and we're on that wheel um if that answers your question sue will say <laughs> either way bless you that's a lovely question i have found so many fascinating things i work since we've been in this uh, the liminal state and i love that because yes it is it's outside of our reality we've we had our reality stopped and we stepped into that liminal state where we 
absolutely didn't know. I remember one of the very first images people were putting out on social media and on the news of seeing all the capitals of the world empty. Mm. And that was a real hammer blow on a very deep level mm. to a lot of people. And it did leave, you know, we have all been saying, oh, I don't feel connected. I don't feel part of what's going on. Yeah. And that's perfectly understandable because we were in this newness, this total. I love the uh, comparison there for the initiate to be taken to somewhere different. So as part of that initiation phase is I've taken from my village, my familiar surroundings to somewhere totally different to uh, compound that energy that's being built up to bring about change. Yeah, I, I saw those It's kind of almost dystopian images of the cities being empty. And it was, it's, it's really affecting. It's like, it's quite traumatic i mean we've only seen things like that in the films yeah you know these films of like the end of the world and um perhaps it can be symbolic of you know our cities are kind of symbolic representations of all the modern ideas we have and the modern beliefs and suddenly they're useless um so it's real yeah metaphor for that um eliminal stage yeah. Definitely. <clears throat> I've, I have found myself on my own personal journey uh, through this time and will continue on that I've found things in myself. I, you said something and I can't recall the exact phrase. Oh, about the, um, the dark spirits coming in, you know, yeah. as part of that process. One of the aspects as a reflection of that energy in the spiritual movement is that there's been an awful lot of work being done on what we call our shadow selves. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And yeah. that, as a, when you said that, I thought on an energetic level, I can actually see that because it is, it's about when we face up to ourselves, you know, you might sort of like you know, hide the wrinkles a bit or whatever, but actually do we look deeply into the side of us that we want to keep hidden or we unconsciously keep hidden but that is part and parcel and again energetically that linked wonderfully when you said about leaving parts of society behind if you bring that down to a purely personal level yeah. you know when you're dealing with self and your own understandings and your own energies that you've got to encompass all facets of your personality uh whether you like it, it's a nice part that you want to put out there, or the parts of the thought sometimes remain undercover. Because again, if we leave those behind, as an individual unit, that progression will be severely hindered because we've not acknowledged and accepted the other side of us, which we don't display publicly. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I think we're seeing at the moment. So it's like these, these these ideas and this kind of break in society where people are seeing the things that they're not particularly proud of in themselves on other people and seeking to, to you know, cancel them. It's like cancel culture, isn't it? Um, it's quite big at the moment. Sue Townsend back is not continuous spirit or energy vibration and frequency which changes its frequency changes 
through our perception of life, death, and rebirth. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, our perception is the important part in that because that's that's how we process, and we have to have some form of perception, or we just wouldn't be able to function. Um, the continuous spirit that we know, yeah, I mean who knows if there's something there was something before and there will be something after and and that will be on its uh, own way uh, own journey of life and rebirth um you know it's sort of like those pictures of the mandalas was just lots of different fractals inside of each other and that's kind of perhaps what it's like um who knows i don't i don't, I don't know um but um yeah so i'm just reading the question again to make sure i got it right okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean do, do you mean do you mean as in the spirit is eternal and it's it's the life and death is only through our own perception which which i'd agree with yeah totally yeah but it still doesn't change that that is our perception and that is how we see it um, and that's how we will i think always see it um whilst we're on earth indeed indeed she's on a roll out there tonight well, I love it. <laughs> thank you sue before <laughs> we are having to recreate from a completely new understanding about ourselves and understand each other in a way yeah in a way definitely but i think also you know, obviously, my entire talk was about traditional and indigenous beliefs um, and their ways of viewing the world. They're there for us as well to access, They're incredibly generous in sharing them. And for most of humanity, that's how we would have seen the world. So it's in our DNA, this kind of new way of being that everything's about growth and gain. Um, it's quite new in terms of the human experience. So I do think there's a possibility to go back, but that doesn't mean to reject everything from Western culture, um, which I see quite a lot of um, things like saying all oh, Western medicine is bad. I don't agree with that personally. I think uh, we need to work together as people who are in the more kind of spiritual parts of society. We need to serve our communities in some way. And a lot of that community will never be spiritual um, at least in our lifetimes, we need to find a bridge somehow. Um, and hopefully that will form that new understanding. And yeah, like you said, this is an amazing opportunity, amazing opportunity. And another amazing opportunity is climate change, which will also affect everyone. And, and that will be another massive initiation, I think, where it is. It's, you know, it's happening right now. So we you know, we have this opportunity to really come together, but it's going to take a lot of self-inquiry and um, it will be uncomfortable. Yes, I, I really couldn't agree more. There is, I'm not saying that about uh, Sue's comment there, but there is a propendency with people to say, oh, great, we can have this like new start or this restart and leave behind everything that we've outgrown or that have challenged us or we have deemed to be unworthy. But we, we can't break that thread. 
we can't break that thread. We are an ever-evolving, unreeling reel of cotton in a way, and we can't just cut off the end bit because it no longer suits our purpose. We've got to encompass that yeah. in our progression going along. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, I agree. Phil's back. Ooh. So Phil's asking, the liminal is compounded by current astrological significance. <laughs> significance neptune in pisces pluto in capricorn and they point to the dissolution of aut autocracy outmoded institutions etc and the crumbling facade of hypocrisy great yeah i love it when things are backed up by astrology mm. yeah uh, it's amazing there's Someone wrote uh, an amazing article or blog post on every single time there's been a shift from the government that said this is when we'll come out of stage one or stage two or this is when we'll go into lockdown. It's happened at the different solstices and eclipses every single time to the point where it can't can't be a um, it can't be a coincidence. So yeah. it must. Be it's, I'd love to kind of see how they use it in the government. They, I, I personally believe they are. I do have a belief that true astrology, we're not talking, you know, the one column in a paper that cover 19 million people, but okay. the true astrologers, we've had astrologers here giving talks and it's been absolutely fascinating. And for for myself on a spiritual level it makes perfect sense on this personal journey that the influences around at my time of birth denoted my character to enable me to be the vehicle for my spirit to go through this life i always equate it to if you were going to go up to edinburgh you wouldn't go out and buy a moped you would get a vehicle that would suit you for the journey Exactly, and yeah. transferring that process to us as people, if you were going to be a great orator or uh, an entertainer, you wouldn't be born under a sign where you are naturally shy and reluctant to come forward. You'd be given those energies because that is part and parcel of your life's plan, your spirit's journey. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ooh. Also, a question. Oh, great. Um, so he's asking, do you think that Jung's concept of the collective unconscious is another way of describing a sort of shamanic genetic memory? Yeah, definitely. Not just shamanic, but just human memory. Um, there's quite a lot of crossover between Jung's ideas and, and shamanic ideas because a lot of it's very simple related um if that's the right way to put it um but the collective unconscious yeah definitely because when something like this happens to so many people that's where it's stored and i think perhaps the genetic memory would be times where this has happened again happened before sorry um shamanism can like Jungian psychotherapies can be a good way to process it i think 
Indeed. Indeed. It's, and again, we have these, <clears throat> we all approach things from our own understandings. But there is this like universal truth that no matter how this is going to manifest on earth, if it comes through Jung's principles, spiritualism, shamanism, matters not. The underlying energy, the underlying vehicle for that, where you said about the truths coming through on that vehicle, they remain unchanged, but they're on a level and a concept that our physicality would struggle with. But we have these different techniques, these understandings and beliefs to explain that, to enlighten people to that version. And not a lot of people will get it, and that's fine, but they will find it will manifest in yet another way until that message on energy is understood. Yeah, totally. Um, there was a question also that I, I missed um, Sorry, yeah. from Stacy Spark, which is... Um, how can you open the eyes of those who choose not to see? And I, I saw out the corner of my eye when I was talking and um, I wanted to answer it because it's, I've struggled a lot with that um, because it can be really frustrating. Um, but you can't, I don't think, I don't think you can't open anyone else's eyes um, for them. Um, and so I think what we can do is live by example, really. Um, and if that makes people want to, to start looking at parts of themselves um, or at the world in a different way, then that's great. Um, but ultimately, we, we don't have any control over that, I don't think. Indeed. One of the basic uh, energies and concepts of most of humanity is this desire to help to assist um, if somebody were to suddenly pass out in a shopping center yes some would walk past but the majority would want to do something and that manifests itself in so many ways because we find our truth our way our pathway and each and every one of us our truths are right because they are right for us because it is our manifestation of that time that energy with this helpfulness side coming in is such a great uh, we have these series of epiphanies throughout our lives on different subjects and they mean so much to us on a personal level that natural reaction is i want to share it with people and drag them in but we've yeah. got to remember you know not everybody sees life through our eyes yeah you know, everybody's journey is different. And where are we going, this is great, absolutely wonderful. And other people are going, please be quiet. <laughs> I've got a headache. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's just being um, empathetic, isn't it? And open yes. to everyone else's way. Because even people who don't see it the same way as you, um, they might see the truth of it, but just it might look to them a different way. Most definitely. Eddie, sir, absolutely brilliant night. Thank you, thank you so much. So many, oh, there we go, a little nice little comment there. In the words of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, plow, plow, let others cast the seed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Thank you, Julie. And happy birthday, Julie. Happy birthday. <laughs> brilliant night absolutely brilliant thank you there 
we've so blessed to have so many wonderful speakers on such a huge topic uh or such a huge range of topics forgive me tonight absolutely brilliant absolutely because you know to me it's about dealing with this time you know we can get lost in the esoteric uh and go for these higher truths but actually to to me it's this practicality it's living today outside of those doors and your talk tonight has certainly certainly inspired people and will continue to do so uh it will be available shortly on a podcast and obviously it will be available on our youtube channel for later reference i know it's been shared a couple of times in america and in denmark Ah, so uh you can now say you're international eddie how nice great thanks so much for having me it's really nice to talk the questions um hopefully we can do it again sometime oh gosh yes please yes please. these saturday nights uh the evolution at the moment is as the church reopens this online experience is not going to go away and i wouldn't dream of shelving it because it's had such a fantastic response and great support from some beautiful people including yourself uh and i'd be loath to put that away in a cupboard and forget all about it that's certainly not the way forward i believe as you were talking about this return this societal change that by talking in these ways of different aspects of the same truths will help and assist people to make their own path so yeah please eddie i would love to have you back i'd love to thanks so much thank you thank you everybody for joining us absolutely wonderful evening next saturday night we have nigel west who is studying for his dsnu certificate with the snu and he will be interviewed by colin and fran moore as i have a booking to go out and serve one of the churches that has just reopened in the area and i need to honor that before i return back here don't forget tomorrow morning, everybody, we have our divine service on Zoom, 10.45. And Jack Eckhart from Denmark will be your chairman, and he will be presenting the service on Zoom for us here at Paul. And tomorrow afternoon, our live service will be streamed onto our Facebook page with Mark Stone at 3 o'clock. Eddie, oh, look out, you've got a threat here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there, Phil, just let me know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Eddie, any final marks, sir? Just thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, for listening. It means a lot. It's been brilliant. It really has a lot of truths in there. I really would advise everybody watching tonight when the podcast is available that you take it away and listen to it because when we revisit these things without the pressure of having to watch a video, uh, it's amazing how much deeper we can take things in everybody look after yourselves stay safe stay sane and we look forward to seeing you all again soon good night everybody <laughs>